Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I have a conversation coming up with a person that you're really going to enjoy getting to know, Dr. Maurice Watson. He is the senior pastor of Beulah Land Bible Church, located in Macon, Georgia. He's also a graduate of the Doctor of Ministry program at Beeson Divinity School, and he's here in Birmingham on our campus to speak at the Beeson Pastor School. So welcome to the podcast, Maurice. Thank you, Dr. George. It's a pleasure to be invited. Now, I wonder if you could just begin by sharing with us a little bit about your background. I know you're from Little Rock, Arkansas, but you served a church in Nebraska. Now you're in Georgia. You've been all over the place here in the eastern part of our country. Uh, tell us about your background. Well, uh, thank you for asking. I'm Maurice Watson. I was born in Little Rock, Arkansas, the seventh of eight children. Um, the number seven is somewhat interesting in my life. I'm the seventh child born in the seventh month on the 21st day. <laughs> I got saved at 14, started pastoring my first church at 21, went to my second church at 28. I'm not saying I'm a numerologist, but... But multiples of seven, seven have been active been in your life. In my life, absolutely. <laughs> Fascinating. Yes, I started pastoring. My first church was St. Mark Baptist Church in Little Rock, where I pastored for seven years. And then moved to Nebraska for 15 and a half years at the Salem Baptist Church. And for the last seven years, again, <laughs> I've been in Georgia at uh, the Beulah Land Bible Church. I want to talk to you about Beulah Land in a minute, but let's let's go uh, to Omaha, to the Salem Baptist Church there. You followed a great pastor, J.C. Wade Sr., uh, who was there for 44 years, yes. and you succeeded him while he was still in the church. Yes, he yes, absolutely. In fact, he lived about 11 of those 15 years that I was there. Wow. We had a model relationship uh, following a legend. Yeah. Uh, it was just a great experience. So it was good for you. He was supportive of you Absolutely. and your ministry. You know, a lot of times that transition in pastoral ministry doesn't work out well. Right. And it's difficult to follow a legend. He must have been a legend 44 years in one church. He was a legend, but he was more than that. He was a Christian man. And uh, he, when he uh, retired and uh, actually joined the church while I was pastoring there. He said, Pastor, I want to show the members how to be a model member of this church. That's great. And was just overly supportive of every endeavor that I undertook while I was there. That is wonderful. What a good success story of how to do transition and succession focused on Jesus Christ and the good of the church. Yes. One of the things I see young preachers or younger pastors, not all, but some of them doing when they follow legend is they try to erase his legacy, which is a big mistake. Mm, you mm. should highlight his legacy. Yes. And, and the, those people were baptized by him. He buried their dead. He married right. their young. And you celebrate uh, what he accomplished. They were having church, being church, before you got there. And you're never going to replace him. I mean, in 44 years, you know, he, he deserves some honor and deference. And uh, so you're right. Uh, lift him up. Encourage him. And uh, if he's really a godly man, as evidently Pastor Wade certainly was, then it'll be reciprocal. Absolutely. Uh, that's what we pray and hope for. And uh, I know a lot of a lot of people have difficult experiences with this, and there are different ways of thinking about succession and transition, but mm-hmm. I'm so glad you had a good experience uh, at Salem. Thank you. Now, he was a mentor to you, obviously, in some ways, since he stayed in the church 11 years that you were there. Yes. So you all had a, a fruitful relationship into your pastoral work there. Who else, as you think about your life and ministry, have really shaped you in terms of pastoral work and preaching? You know, over the years, uh, I started preaching at 16, so I was a boy preacher. And uh, a lot of the the guys back in Little Rock that I knew, 
they were not nationally known speakers or anything like that, but they were wonderful models of pastors uh, for their churches. Uh, my uh, initial model was my uh, former pastor, the late uh, Reverend N.K. Curry, who lived to be 98 years old. I preached his funeral several years ago. He was my first pastor. Uh, others, I think of uh, people like C. Dennis Edwards, who pastors there in Little Rock at the St. John Church. And I just used to try to m- model them. Uh, I tried to act like them. I was just a boy <laughs> until I finally began to find myself uh, yeah. over the years. And they've just been wonderful influences upon me. Now, I know you're uh, good friends with my dear colleague, Dr. Robert Smith, Jr. Uh, say a little bit about uh, Robert Smith and his influence on you and just how you think about him as a preacher and a professor of preaching. I uh, I immensely enjoyed um, sitting in Dr. Smith's class, you know, to to know him and his personality for preaching. When you preach in class, it's almost like uh, no difference than preaching in, in a regular church with him. He's going to be in his call and response mode mm-hmm. <laughs> even during class. Uh, but Dr. Smith is a genuine scholar, but he is a scholar who also has not uh, forgotten the importance of being a proclaimer of yeah. the word. Uh, a lot of times people in the academy are good at the theory, but when it comes to the practice, Dr. Smith has both, and that's a, that's that's unique with him. And, you know, when I think about him, uh, I don't think, you know, here's one of the great African-American preachers of America. Here's one of the great preachers of Absolutely. America, period. Uh, but he's never lost touch with his own heritage, his own roots in the African-American church tradition, and uh, I'm sure that's true of you as well. And say a little bit about how your context shapes the way you understand ministry, and what are some of the gifts the African-American church has to offer to the whole body of Christ? You know, Philip Brooks, I think, said that preaching is truth through personality. And when I go to the pulpit to preach, I don't go to preach a, quote, black sermon. I go to preach a Christian biblical sermon. Mm. Now, that preaching is influenced by my culture, uh, by my experiences, by who I am uh, as as an African-American. Uh, but ultimately, it is about being true to the to the biblical text when I approach ministry. As, a, as it relates to what the black church has to offer to the, the church in general, we have much to offer. Uh, there's a lot of uh, push these days among homileticians about narrative preaching, mm. story preaching is story, and you don't need to be taught about that, do no, you? <laughs> we say we say welcome back. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but we have that uh, the the wonderful rich experience in terms of a. Uh, the high regard that our congregants have for pastors. Yeah. Our, our, our people have a high, high regard for us as pastors. They depend on us. For many generations, the pastor had to be a little of everything. He had to be a part-time lawyer. <laughs> they, they would, if they got sick, they'd come to him, but not, to, not for him to practice medicine, but they would come to him with their problems. So we have a high pastoral regard in, in our churches. And then, and our churches have a high, regard for preaching, mm. the preaching of the word. It's mm. taken very seriously when it comes uh, from that person that they trust as their pastor. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about Beulah Land, where you are now mm-hmm. in Macon, Georgia, Beulah Land Bible Church. What is a Bible church? Actually, uh, my predecessor uh, changed the name of the church, had the, the church to vote to change the name. It's a, Bi- it's a Baptist church. Uh-huh. He changed the name from Baptist to Bible to increase the uh, people that we could reach. There have been pros and cons with that particular move. One, the, the pro is that we have had a wider net of people that have joined our church. The downside of that has been a, such an eclectic group of people who come from various understandings of salvation 
uh, that sometimes we find ourselves having to unteach uh, those uh, traditions that more, that lean more toward a works kind of salvation and a holiness you have to be mm-hmm. in order to be to a sola fide, so yeah, uh, yeah, faith yeah. alone yeah, yeah. salvation. That's a challenge. Mm-hmm. So it really uh, names, you know, the, the largest, I think the fastest growing church here in Alabama, it's a Baptist church, doesn't use the word Baptist in mm-hmm. its name at all. It's kind of a trend across the country. It is. And I think what really matters isn't so much the label. Uh, the labels, you know, can be good or bad or indifferent, but what really matters is the heart and substance, the content Absolutely. and the and the ministry, the mission. Yes. So talk a little bit about uh, Beulah Land and, and what your mission is, how you're reaching out to people in the name of Jesus Christ. What are you doing as a church? What's the what's the passion of your church? Well, the passion of our church is, of course, to uh, fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples of those that we reach for the Lord. I've been really trying to push our church to begin to think more globally toward uh, supporting missions, getting involved in missions, one of the projects we are involved in is in Haiti. We're trying to help build a school there uh, for kids and uh, an orphanage for kids. I had a chance, along with Ralph and some others, to go over and see the devastation and, yeah, and what have you. They're terrible. hurting really badly yeah, there earthquake. in uh, Haiti. Uh, also, we're uh, supporting a, a seminary, West African Theological Seminary in Lagos, Nigeria, oh. uh, providing scholarships for pastors there. So we're trying to get them to think more globally, a more Great Commission-minded. That's great. That's wonderful. Now, uh, if I could ask you to say just a little bit about uh, week by week as you stand to preach, uh, what do you? What's the pattern? Are, are you an expositional, narrative, uh, topical? I mean, you, you've already indicated. You know, all of these in a way have their value. Uh, what's your own personal approach to preaching week by week? My personal approach to preaching is expositional preaching. I do believe in the validity of other styles of preaching. Uh, but for me, the kind of preaching that's going to, over a long haul, build lives better is expositional preaching. Now, there can be narrative expositional. Mm. It doesn't have to just be one genre. It can be a combination. But mm-hmm. at heart, biblical preaching is expositional. So stay close to the text. Uh, take seriously the context. Yes. And let the scriptures be exposed. That's the best definition of expositional preaching. Yes. Expose the word of God. Yes. And the Holy Spirit will take and use that. And if it happens to be a story, a narrative, don't destory the story. You can still get at it yeah. in a narrative, expositional way. Now, I've got to ask you something else. I'm really fascinated by this because you and I share something in common in that we both have a connection to Harvard Divinity School. I, of course, studied there a long, long time ago, but much more recently, you were awarded the Charles E. Adams Award for Ministry and actually preached there. Well, actually, I gave a paper at the Black Student Union. Tell us about that. There. I don't want to give any false impressions. Oh, okay. I've, I've, well, I've, I've never been invited back to, to preach at, or lecture at Harvard Divinity School, so you're ahead of me. Well, myself, along with some others, were invited to give some papers. Uh, and I gave a paper on preaching in a postmodern world. And it was a wonderful experience. I enjoyed the challenge of preparing for it and to uh, of being in the hallowed halls of heart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Dr. Adams is one of the great uh, figures in American church history in recent years, and he teaches there now, I think, as well as continuing his ministry out That's in Detroit. Right. So uh, he's been a, a great uh, soldier of the cross for a long time, and to have an award named for him uh, to be there in his presence, I think, is a great uh, honor for you. And good for Harvard that they had the uh, good sense to ask you to come and do that. You've written a book, Maurice, uh, 
called Looking Up When Life's Got You Down, Trusting God in the Crazy Seasons of Life. Yes. What a title. Wow. I want to ask you about your book. I've enjoyed dipping into it and reading it. One of the things you do, you bring together and hold in tension concepts that seem to be opposite in some ways. There's creativity in that. And one of the, the expressions you use in the first chapter, which is called a wounded worshiper, is the phrase tenacious praise. Talk about those two expressions. What is a wounded worshiper, and what do you mean by tenacious praise? You know, that first chapter deals with the life of Job and uh, all of the things that Job went through, the woundedness, the hurt, the pain that he went through. But if you notice in chapter 1 of Job that Job worshipped God. Mm. And in chapter 42, when he got back everything, he won. Mm. And I believe that the reason Job was able to get to chapter 42 in his life is because of how he handled chapter 1. He worshipped God in spite of his pain. Tenacious worshipper is a worshipper who does not allow the circumstances to determine their praise of God, but they praise Him because of a relationship with God. It's a stubborn joy. Our friend Dr. James Earl Massey talks about the burdensome joy of preaching, and you're talking about the stubborn joy of praising God in the midst of the storms of life, yes. aren't you? Yes. Uh, no matter what, Absolutely. God is God. It's a book of encouragement yeah. for those who are going through. Well, I picked that up, and, and one of the most encouraging chapters was where you gave an exposition of uh, Matthew chapter 11. This is one of my favorite passages in all of the New Testament, where Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor, you're burdened. Come unto me, you who are oppressed and weighed down, and I will give you rest. And you talk about that rest that we have in Jesus Christ and the yoke, the easy yoke that he wants us to wear. Say a little bit about that. Well, you know, when Jesus, if my understanding of that is when he said, I will give you rest, it is, he's saying, I will give you rest that I alone, only I can give you, that you can't find in other sources, and a, a rest of your soul. It's unique. Absolutely. Um, that I, I am the good shepherd who comes not to put on you a burden as some of the false shepherds in the context of that were, were putting on the people, limitless burdens of law and and what have you, in regulations, he says, but as the good shepherd, I want to give you true rest, soul deep rest. You know, St. Augustine, and maybe the most famous uh, line from his confessions, the very first chapter, says, Oh God, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Yes. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, isn't it? Absolutely. To come to him and uh, take up that yoke. It is a yoke, but it's a, it's a yoke that's not burdensome. Right. It doesn't weigh you down. It frees you up. And we as pastors need to really heed the admonition of Jesus because we have so much on us with our churches and all of the responsibilities. And yet that invitation is not just for our members. It's for us, mm. his sheep, even those of us who under shepherds over over the people of God. You know, some pastors, uh, Maurice, have a sense of almost guilt for finding any time for rest. I mean, the pastors expect to be there 24-7, on call all the time, Mr. Answer Man. And yet, Jesus is calling us to, to, to rest and renewal. And you have a quote in here from uh, Chuck Swindoll, one of the great pastors and communicators of the gospel, I think, in our time. And Chuck Swindoll says, renewal and restoration are not luxuries, they are essentials. Being alone and resting for a while is not selfish, it is Christ-like. Taking your day off each week 
or rewarding yourself with a relaxing, refreshing vacation is not carnal. It's spiritual. Yes. There is absolutely nothing enviable or spiritual about a coronary or a nervous breakdown. Absolutely. Nor is an ultra-busy schedule necessary as a mark of a productive life. Yes. Sometimes that ultra-busyness is backdoor pride. Mm. That it is false spirituality. What do you mean by that? We feel like that the busier I am, the more spiritual I am, Mm. the the more God ought to be pleased with me. I'm just working, working, working. But as Chuck says, there's nothing spiritual about a coronary. Sometimes you have to unhook the bowstring in order for a bow to be effective and shoot far. You got to take the tension off the string from time to time. If you leave all the tension, it's not going to shoot as far. What are some pathways of renewal and rest, uh, particularly for pastors who face all the issues and burdens of uh, weekly, daily pastoral ministry? Wh- where can they go? What can they do? You know, Chuck mentions a vacation. You find some time away. Wh- what have you found to be helpful in your life? As he mentions, yes, vacationing, doing some things that I like to do. If it's nothing more than going to a movie, going, uh, playing a round of golf, reading a good book, getting away with some friends, going off with the family and um, just having some fun. Sometimes just doing things where I don't have to think seriously, (laughs) but just be able to be Maurice and not Pastor Watson. And God can honor that and will honor that. Yes, he does. One of the things that I think ought to be a part of that kind of renewal and rest is a new, fresh approach to the scriptures. Because, you know, all the time pastors have to be preparing sermons. i got to preach Sunday, sometimes more than once. And if, if you're serious about your calling as a pastor, that's hard work. Yes. You know, it just didn't fly in from the sky. You've got to spend time studying, spend time in prayer, deliberation. So how can we approach the Scriptures? You have a quotation here from Thomas Merton, the great monk of the 20th century from Gethsemane Abbey in Kentucky. And uh, he says this, I think is a great line. I want you to comment on it. By reading the scriptures, I am so renewed that all nature seems renewed around me and with me. The sky seems to be a pure, a cooler blue, the trees a deeper green. The whole world is charged with the glory of God, and I feel fire and music under my feet. Comment on that. It's important for serious Christians to try to practice the disciplines. And scriptural reading is one of those spiritual disciplines that we have gotten away from. And, you know, we ought to read the Bible not just to craft sermons. We ought to read the Word of God and and see it as Bonhoeffer saw it, as God actually speaking to us through his Word, and that we are actually experiencing God as we read his Word. And I think that's that's what uh, Merton was getting at. Yeah. That we're having a real, that God's Word is speaking to me as I read it and as I interact with nature. That it's that it's God speaking to me, and not mm. just giving me examining it to try to find a sermon. I wonder as you think about the people who are listening to this podcast, particularly pastors, maybe younger pastors that are trying to find their way in a maybe a difficult and challenging place of ministry. Uh, what word of encouragement would you want to leave them with today? I would just say to you that if you are dealing with a difficult span of, of, of ministry in, in your life right now, understand this. That being in the will of God does not mean that you're going to be necessarily in a season of ease. Sometimes being in his will means you got to get in the trenches. Don't doubt that you're in the right place just because you're going through a difficult stretch. you got to believe that God has you there for a reason, for a purpose, to accomplish for him. And keep in mind it's about him 
and his pleasure and not necessarily about our being happy with where we are. There have been great people of God that have had to serve in places that they were not personally happy. I think of Jonah as one. He had to go to an uncomfortable place to minister, to show the world that God loves everyone. And so I would say to that pastor, just continue to be faithful. Don't doubt that uh, you are where God wants you to be. Be faithful. And that's the, the word I would give you today. My guest on today's Beeson podcast has been Dr. Maurice Watson. He's the senior pastor of Beulah Land Bible Church in Macon, Georgia. Thank you so much for this conversation, Maurice. Thank you for the invitation. And now I want to invite you to a special conference that we're having here at Beeson, November 1 and 2, 2011, our Reformation Spirituality Conference. You know, a lot of people, when they think about the Reformation, they regard it as a great event in history, economically, socially, politically, had a tremendous kind of a watershed complex of events. All that's true. But in this conference, we want to get back to the spiritual core at the heart of this great renewal movement and ask the question, what can we learn today in our own spiritual formation from the Reformers who forged such important patterns of discipleship, prayer, Bible study, worship, and living out of the Christian faith. Dr. Herman Selderhus from the Netherlands will be one of our plenary speakers, and also Dr. Carla Aperlou Boersma, who directs the project REFO 500. This is a consortium of schools and institutions that are coming together in preparation for the celebration of the 500th anniversary of Luther's posting of the 95 Theses on the Castle Church door at Wittenberg. In addition to these scholars, we also have a number of our own wonderful Beeson faculty. Dr. Gerald Bray will be back with us, Dr. Carl Beckwith, our new Associate Dean for Academic Affairs, Dr. David Hogg. It's going to be a great event of learning, of prayer, of worship together. And so we invite you to come and join us for the Reformation Spirituality Conference, November 1 and 2, right here at Beeson Divinity School. And you can register online at our website www.beesondivinity.com Come join us for this special event. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website beesondivinity.com Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.